morning. Welcome to Bethany Church. Great to see you all here this morning. I really like that intro video because the upbeat music puts me in a good mood. I feel good about the message. It's not heavy-handed, you know. don't feel like i got to come across real strong right out of the gate. But this morning, uh, we're continuing our Opening Your Gift sermon series. My name is Dave Wilcock. It's a privilege to be speaking this morning. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the gift of prophecy. And originally, I'm sorry if this disappoints some of you, but originally we were going to do prophecy and discerning of spirits this morning. And I knew in the back of my mind that that was a fool's errand to try and do both of those in one Sunday. And as soon as I cracked the books to get this together, I was like, this is not going to work. Because the, uh, the gift of prophecy, I haven't done the math, but my guess is it is the largest subject in the Bible. Spanning from beginning to end, entire books, entire sections um, of the Bible containing prophecy, about prophets, uh, about the use of prophecy, and it is a, a massive subject um, in the Scriptures. And so I'm going to give it the old college uh, try this morning to give you the basic fundamentals of the gift of prophecy here in a short Sunday message. So hang with me. I hope it's not too much to digest all in one short message. Uh, I'm going to do my best. Um, the first place... Where to start when you're talking about prophecy, because when you think about prophecy, often the way it's depicted in popular media, in movies and whatnot, is primarily about prediction of the future, right? It's primarily what you would see uh, when people talk about prophecy. But the definition of prophecy, scripturally speaking, is much broader than that. The definition, a good working definition of prophecy would be this. The human report of divine revelation. The human report of a divine revelation. And so what we're going to do this morning is primarily look in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to read a couple of verses out of that. We'll be in some other places as well. But sort of look at this gift of prophecy, how it's used in Scripture, and how we as the New Testament church are supposed to use the gift of prophecy. So first let's read 1 Corinthians 14, 1-5 and verse 12. It says, follow the way of love. And eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So it is with you, since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. So we're told that we're supposed to eagerly pursue these gifts, and particularly this gift of prophecy. But where some of the confusion comes in sometimes is that prophecy operates in different ways in the scriptures, and it's hard to know sometimes how we, as New Testament believers, are supposed to operate in this gift. So we want to look at what is Paul referring to here in this passage, and how does that apply to us? How do we function in this gift of prophecy? And I think the easiest way, if we're just going to make it as simple as possible, the easiest way to think about prophecy in the different ways that it functions is to break it up into two categories. There is prophecy prior to Pentecost. 
prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, where all of us now have the indwelling Holy Spirit. There's prophecy that functions before that, and there is a different type of prophecy that functions after prophecy. That's the easiest way, I think, to separate it out in your mind. And one of the primary differences between prophecy and how it functions prior to Pentecost and after has to do with absolute divine authority. So prophecy that functions prior to Pentecost comes with this absolute divine authority where the prophetic word must be obeyed. If the prophetic word is disobeyed, it's like disobeying God Himself. And we see this all throughout the Scriptures and that there's, there's actually punishment that happens when those... Uh, when they di- What's the word I'm looking for? When they do not believe the words of the prophet or do not follow the words of the prophet. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 19, we see, The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. To be put to death. Pretty harsh, and I'm glad, as we'll see later, we don't do that anymore. Because I would probably not be a pastor. If I had to call you, let you know we were going to put you down next Sunday because of what you did last Sunday. But we'll talk about that in a minute. And so how it was different back then is obviously they don't have... The scriptures, they don't have the compiled word of God in any sense, and they are reliant on the prophet to tell them what God wants them to do and who he is and how he's functioning, to give them direction, to tell them uh, what they are to do. And so they are heavily reliant on the prophet to speak God's word to them prior to Pentecost. And that's why it's so serious and the consequences are so serious, because to If you have a false prophet, someone who is misleading you, and you're held to account for listening to and obeying that word that is a false word, the consequence is very serious. So they put to death the false prophet. And what's different from post-Pentecost prophecy and pre-Pentecost prophecy, in this sense, is that you actually test the prophet himself. We'll talk about this more a bit later. But pre-Pentecost, they would actually test the prophet. Is this a true prophet or is this a false prophet? It wasn't so much about sifting the words that he said, because those could be pretty crazy. You know, he might go tell you to jump in the river seven times and bathe yourself. Things like that we see in the Old Testament that may not make sense in the moment. But if it is a true prophet, then you are responsible to obey that prophet. There's absolute divine authority to the pre-Pentecost prophet. And so what's a little weird, where a wrench gets thrown in the system, is as we move into the New Testament and the Gospels and then uh, with the ministry of the apostles, we kind of see something that straddles (laughs) Pentecost, where the apostles, while living and functioning a little bit in the New Testament church, they actually function more like pre-Pentecost prophets. The words that they speak carry this divine authority. We see this in the Scriptures. Peter, for example, refers to the writings of Paul as Scripture. He says, these are the words of God, like the law and the prophets. 
what Paul is speaking to you, even though it can be difficult to understand and people twist them. These are Scripture. And then we see, for example, in Revelation chapter 22, John the Beloved, with his prophetic vision, the book of Revelation, he says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city which are written about in this book. And so we see the New Testament, the apostles functioning in this pre-Pentecost, as it were, type of prophetic ministry that carries absolute divine authority. So, but then we move to Pentecost, and you and I, and New Testament believers, and as many things in Scripture, you know, you have sometimes things that you see in the Old Testament post-resurrection and post-Pentecost, um, you see continuity where things continue as they were, and other things you see discontinuity. For example, um, the sacrificial system, maintaining relationship with God and forgiveness. We see post-resurrection, post-Pentecost, that that's no longer needed. We have the sacrifice of Jesus once and for all for the forgiveness of sins, and we no longer need to maintain a sacrificial system. So there's discontinuity. With prophecy, same way, there's discontinuity from what we see prior to the resurrection and Pentecost and what we see post-Pentecost. And so the primary difference was prophesied in Joel chapter 2 where he writes this, After this I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams. Your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my Spirit on male and female slaves in those days. So now the Holy Spirit, for those of us who believe, is indwelling in each one of us. And we can all prophesy Before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would only come on particular people for a particular task. It was designated to the few to prophesy. But in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh and we can all prophesy. We can all function in this gift. And so, there's a difference in the way that it functions. And Paul and other writers in the New Testament describe how this gift now functions in the New Testament church. And we're going to take a few minutes to look at what the primary characteristics are of this post-Pentecost New Testament prophecy. Primarily, or firstly, it's this available to all, as we read in Joel 2 and in the New Testament, that it's available to all and that it's a greater gift than the other gifts that are listed in the New Testament that are now functioning among the believers and the reason that it's, it's greater than the others is because it has this heightened ability to edify everybody. This gift of prophecy. We read in 1 Corinthians 14, what we read earlier, it says earlier, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, for the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. So it is with you, since you're eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. So Paul's highlighting the gift of prophecy because it has this heightened ability to edify the entire gathered body. So it's greater due to its ability to edify all. And another thing that's slightly different is the nature and the purpose of New Testament prophecy. Pre-Pentecost, this is the way I kind of think about it, pre-Pentecost, the primary 
primary function of prophecy that we see in Scripture, at least I see in Scripture, is that prophecy is used for uh, giving direction or foretelling the future. Those are the where it's most often used, prophecy, is, 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 is in giving direction and in foretelling the future. Whereas in the New Testament now, the function of prophecy is primarily for edification and encouragement and building up the church. Not to say that, because we do see examples in the New Testament where foretelling of the future or directional words, telling people what, what they should do, what God might be indicating they should do as far as a choice or something, that does still function. But it seems like the priorities flip now. And it seems like what we see in the New Testament is that prophecy is primarily used for the edification and the building up of the church. For example, 1 Corinthians 14.3, which we've already read twice. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, or literally building up, encouraging, and comfort. In uh, 1 Corinthians 14.31, later in the chapter, it says, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. So the function of New Testament prophecy, what's highlighted is primarily for encouraging, for comforting, Let us, letting us know that God sees and that He hears us and that He is in, he is in it with us, speaking to us and encouraging and calling us out. And uh, that's the primary function of New Testament prophecy. Secondly, where there is continuity with pre-Pentecost uh, prophecy and New Testament prophecy, it's revelatory. It's revelatory. In uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, later in the chapter, verses 29-30, it says two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. And so revealed, this word and variations of it, used 44 times in the New Testament, is the word apocalypto. Apocalypto. Same as the Mel Gibson movie, if any of you saw that. Apocalypto. And what this word uh, refers to is the activity of God, the revelation, the divine revelation of God. And there is no example anywhere in the Scripture of anybody speaking prophetically apart from Apocalypto, apart from the revelation of God. And why that's important is because that's what differentiates it from the gift of uh, where people have skills in preaching or teaching, in leading worship and some of these, these other things is those things we can put together ourselves. I can sit down and put together a sermon. It may or may not be divinely inspired. I'll let you be the judge. <laughs> Prophecy is always divinely inspired. It is God speaking in the moment. God revealing something to us that is, is secret or hidden or we do not know ourselves and Him revealing that to our minds. And so those things can happen while you're preaching or while you're leading worship or praying or singing, prophecy, divine revelation can happen in those moments, but it is the activity of God. It is not generated by man. And it comes through various mediums. We see a lot of different ways that God does this, that this apocalypto happens where God reveals something to us or gives us divine revelation. It happens in dreams. It happens in visions. It happens through what we call the internal voice of God. And this, this takes some, some work, some practice to be able to discern what is my own mind and what is God speaking to me, uh, giving me revelation. God can speak in an audible voice. He can do it. There's other weird things. Tongues, 
casting of lots we see in the New Testament where they're rolling the dice to decide what God is speaking to them. <laughs> this is not me. That's in the Bible. An interesting little historical fact, that is how John Wesley decided whether he was going to get married or not, the famous preacher. He cast lots. He had three lots for whether he was supposed to marry, whether he should wait another year, or whether he should take a hard pass on getting married. And uh, he decided to marry. Funny. So God spoke to him through casting lots. So God speaks through all kinds of different ways that we see in Scripture. And uh, probably not limited to any way of speaking. But there are a lot of those that I've mentioned specifically that we see in Scripture where God, where this revelation, apocalypto, can happen and God can speak to us. So it's greater due to its ability to edify all of us and its nature and purposes primarily for comfort and edification and building up. It is revelatory. It's the work of God, not something we can generate. But then, maybe a subtle point, is it spoken publicly? It says in 1 Corinthians 14.3 that we read, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And so, subtle point here is the reception of God may speak to you, but if it is not shared with other people, technically it's not prophecy. <laughs> or if God is speaking to you and for some nefarious reason you're storing it all up for yourself to uh, use in some way, it is not prophecy. It must be spoken to someone else for their edification and building up. And so prophecy is spoken publicly. And then lastly, this is the one uh, that people get hung up a lot on, I think, is that what we see in uh, the New Testament prophecy, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all of us, this divine, absolute divine authority of the prophet and the prophetic word does not seem to be the case in the New Testament. It does not carry this same absolute divine authority. Not that the prophetic word cannot be perfect, spoken by God, but does not carry this absolute divine authority. We see in 1 Corinthians 14, 30 through 33, oh, excuse me, wrong passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, Paul says, love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. So unlike capital P prophecy, the prophetic word words of the apostles and the law and the prophets which will never pass away, Paul talking about this New Testament gift of prophecy will pass away. And he talks about how we, we prophesy in part now and we see in a, in a mirror dimly at times or see a reflection, uh, reflection dimly. And so one of the reasons, um, one of the reasons that it's different now is because prophecy now functions, the Holy Spirit's poured out on all of us, we can all prophesy, and let's be honest, we're kind of a mixed bag, right? <laughs> all of us, we're a bit of a mixed bag, and prophecy, revelation that is received goes through this process of we hear the voice of the Lord, however we perceive it, or however He speaks to us, but then it goes through the meat grinder of your brain, <laughs> and your heart, and your experiences, and your trauma, and your, your weirdness. It goes through that, and then it comes out as prophecy. And we see this kind of spoken of in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, later in the chapter that we've been reading from, where it says, if someone sitting down receives a revelation, 
The person who is speaking should conclude, for you can all prophesy one after another, so all can learn and be encouraged. Indeed, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not characterized by disorder, but of peace. And so, it's within our control. You know, if, if you're watching the Lego movie, you know, or something, and Gandalf gets the prophetic word, you know, and his eyes light up and uh, roll in the back of his head, and he has this outer body of experience, and some voice speaks through him, and then he comes to after the prophetic word is given, and he can't remember what he said. That's not how New Testament prophecy functions. <laughs> it's much more earthy than that. It's we receive the word from the Lord, but it is within our control. It says in the passage that we just read, you could stop prophesying. It doesn't take over your body. <laughs> it's within your control. One who's prophesying can stop prophesying and somebody else can get up and prophesy. And it indicates this thing that happens where the word of prophecy goes through our personality and who we are as people and then comes out. And that's part of the reason why in New Testament prophecy we see that it is subject to evaluation. Remember what I said earlier, pre-Pentecost, you didn't really sift through the words of the prophet. Those weren't questioned. You questioned the prophet himself. Is this a true prophet or is this a false prophet? If they're a true prophet, you accepted whatever they said as absolute divine authority. The New Testament, not the case. In the New Testament, we test the words that come through those who express the prophetic gifting. In 1 Corinthians 14, 29, we see, let two or three prophets speak, let the others weigh what is said. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 20, 21, it says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, value them, but test everything and hold on to that which is good. And so we're supposed to weigh the prophetic word. And so weigh is this Greek word diakrino, which is used for sifting things out like sifting tares from wheat or differentiating good from bad or different types of people, we are supposed to weigh or sift through prophetic words that come forward and see to discern that which is from the Lord or that which may have a little bit of a spin on it coming from the prophet himself. And so we have this revelation subject to the personality of the giver of the prophecy and then, therefore, it's subject to evaluation, interpretation, an application, what is God saying through this and how does it apply to my life or to the church, the believers? And we actually have in the New Testament a couple of examples. We'll look at one where you kind of see this happening, kind of an imperfection in a sense to this gift of prophecy. In Acts 21, we see the prophet Agabus, who's mentioned a couple of times, come with a prophetic word. And here's what he says in Acts 21. He says, while we remained there for a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. He came to us, took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says this, this is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will tie up the man whose belt this is and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, both we and the local people begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul replied, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? <laughs> for I'm ready not only to be tied up, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus, because he could not be persuaded. We said no more except the Lord's will be done. What's interesting about this prophetic word that we see post-Pentecost coming through 
uh, Agabus, who seems to be a, a fairly um, gifted prophet in the New Testament, is he actually got a couple things wrong. <laughs> if you read through the rest of Acts chapter 21, you'll see a couple of things that, that he got wrong. The Jews don't bind Paul up. That seemed to be a big part of his prophecy, that the Jews are going to bind you up like this, and they didn't. The Romans actually tied him up. <laughs> and then Agabus says that the Jews are going to tie you up and they're going to hand you over to the Romans. Not their plan at all. They tried to beat him to death. <laughs> they didn't tie him up. They tried to kill him. And the Romans actually rescue Paul from the Jews trying to kill him. And so, so Agabus' word is actually correct. Paul's going to be taken into captivity. Some of the details seem to be a little bit off. And that's okay. And that's okay. The other mistake they make, though, is those that hear this prophetic word immediately jump to a conclusion. Paul's going to be taken into prison. Paul should not go to Jerusalem. So they didn't take time to, to pray and sift through and to weigh this word and to talk to Paul, who already knew because he'd heard from the Lord that this was going to happen. He knew this was what was supposed to happen. And really, the application of this prophetic word was encouragement to, to Paul that he's on track. This is what's going to happen, and, and this is what I told you is going to happen, Paul. I am still with you. I, I know what's happening, and I'm in it. So that was the application of the prophetic word, and they kind of missed it. <laughs> and that's okay. That happens sometimes. And so part of the problem, though, is because this is the case with post-Pentecost prophecy, where it can be a bit messy, I think we tend to not want to deal with it, right? Because we've got, we've got the scriptures, those are rock solid, and uh, why go through the mess of trying to sift through all this prophecy? But I mean, I would argue, I mean, don't we do the same thing with this? I mean, it wasn't written in English, right? <laughs> it's translated imperfectly into English in multiple different ways, and we have to sort through that. And then we have to try and understand it, what is God saying, and different interpretations and, and apply it to our lives, right? I'm not saying they're on the, the same level, but it's the same process that we do with Scripture. And why would we not want, if God is speaking to us, if God is with us, He is alive in us and speaking in us and through us, why would we not want to put through a little effort <laughs> to understand and perceive what He's saying? Why would we abandon that and cut ourselves off from the active work of God in our lives? in the church, just because we're lazy or something, <laughs> or we don't want to deal with a little discomfort at times. I don't think we should do that. That is why Paul says, don't despise prophecies. It's exactly what he's saying. Don't despise them. Just sift what is said, but don't despise them. And so we don't ignore Scripture, and we do not ignore the Word of the Lord through the gift of prophecy. And we will not here at Bethany either. So, the New Testament gift of prophecy functions as a greater gift, ability to edify all. Its purpose primarily, although it could be directional, more rare, primarily for edification and comfort and building up. It is revelatory. It is spoken publicly. And it has this imperfection to it. And it needs to be weighed and sifted in order to be applied and understood correctly. And those are sort of some of the hallmarks of New Testament prophecy. But I want to make a couple of other comments 
before we close, just about the function and the use of New Testament prophecy more practically. Some people call it prophetic etiquette or propheticate for, uh, if you want to abbreviate it more simply. But for one, there's a th- the m- one mistake that I think happens more, more often than it should is that we mistake significant gifting, particularly in the, in the area of prophecy, we mistake prophetic gifting for Christian maturity. And they are not the same thing. <laughs> Just because somebody has a significant gifting or uh, often has, uh, receives prophetic words from the Lord, that does not mean that God approves ev- everything about their lives and how they conduct themselves or their doctrine. Oftentimes, prophetic people that are gifted in the prophetic are kind of weird. They can be kind of weird. That's not because prophecy is weird. It's not because Christianity is weird. That's because they're weird people. <laughs> and so we can't um, conflate these things, right? God speaks through a donkey in the Old Testament. He can speak through whoever he wants that does not necessarily mean that he approves about everything about their lives. And oftentimes, people that have significant gifts, we tend to pedestalize them, we tend to imitate them, and we tend to, to follow them a bit more than we should in, in other, areas, um, other areas of their lives in teaching, and that shouldn't necessarily be the case. It is the gifts of the Spirit that are the sign of maturity, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, self-control, all these things, that is a mature Christian. Not somebody who speaks in tongues or has a significant gift in the area of prophecy. And we need to keep those things separate. We need to keep those things separate so that we don't do a disservice to the prophetic person themselves by pedestalizing them. Secondly, if you are the giver of a prophetic word, you need to have a bit of a, a thick skin. Don't be easily offended because people won't always see what you see. People won't always see or even accept the things that God may be revealing to you. I've seen this many times uh, um, over the years. Uh, There's one person who I had to correct, who gave a really harsh, judgmental, prophetic word once that, that I had to correct. And then after the service, they let me know that God was speaking to them that they should move on from the church. <laughs> And they did so. <clears throat> you have to have a, 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 a bit of a thick skin. I, I had another, uh, when I first moved here to, to Minneapolis and I was on a, a church planning team, we were getting together to head over to, uh, to Eastern Europe to, to plan a church. And there was a girl on our team that God spoke to, uh, and it was really for her. Something about her style of ministry in, in praying for healing for others. But she was so excited about it because God had spoken to her and revealed something to her. And we all needed to get it but we didn't get it. <laughs> didn't really make sense. We weren't all that excited about it. We're like, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but you know, it's not our thing. We're not going to change our whole style of ministry about, uh, around this thing that, that I think is for you. She was horribly offended, and uh, she ended up leaving our, our team eventually. These things happen because it's so personal to us, right? Particularly if God doesn't speak to you very often and he speaks to you. I mean, you can be very passionate about it, and it's just so precious to you because God has spoken to you. Sometimes other people don't see what you see, or it may not be for them or for everybody. It's something that's for you. And so you just need to have a bit of a a thick skin, because sometimes you may get corrected. 
You, you, you know, people, as people weigh out the prophetic word that comes forward, say, yeah, this is from the Lord, this part not so much. I think that might just be you, you know. And, and that's okay. We just have to learn to, to give and receive in that, in the gift of prophecy. And just always remember that God's sovereign. He's bigger. Just, you know, if you get a prophetic word and, and it, you really feel like it, it's something for all of us and, and we don't uh, really accept it, that's okay. God's bigger. If it's that important, he will find a way to speak in other ways and through other people to get us where he wants us to go because we're all serving him. We all love him. We're all trying to, to follow him. And so he will have his way if we are committed together to him. And so you don't need to get hung up necessarily on every specific uh, prophetic word if it's not accepted as, uh, as much as you would like it to be. And then another thing is um, when it comes to giving a prophetic word, it's not necessarily, oftentimes, there's less onus on you as the person giving the prophetic word to find the application for the person. This often gets people into trouble, I've, I've seen many times, where sometimes I think maybe you feel foolish because God just gives you like a word. It's just like one word, like, man, I think, I think this is a, just a single literal word, one, one word, or, or maybe it's just a passage that doesn't make sense, and maybe you just feel a bit foolish throwing it out there and so what we tend to do is try to add on to it right we try to sermonize like build a sermon out of it you know <laughs> so when you deliver it uh something that is really just one word you're supposed to drop off ends up in a 10-minute sermon on the microphone and that's where we often get in trouble because that's when uh that's when it tends to see more of your own ideas and your own your own flesh and that sort of stuff because we want it to to be something we want to dress it up uh, a little bit and I don't think we should do that. Particularly, oftentimes, you know, if you're praying for somebody and God speaks a prophetic word where you can get into trouble, and I think where people often get offended in prophecy, is particularly if you know that person and you know the circumstances of their life and what they're going through, you know, and you get a, a particular scripture or maybe, maybe one word or something that you're supposed to, or a sentence to, to give to this person, uh, you may tend to jump right to application, like, oh, well, I know this person really struggles with, like, they're on their phone all the time, they got a technology problem, I think that's what it must be, you know, and so you build a little sermon around it, like, hey, I think God might be saying this to you, and people can oftentimes take, take offense at that, because that may not be um, what God is speaking, and so if you have personal knowledge of the individual, I think you need to be more hesitant to provide the application in addition to the prophetic word, but allow them to sit with it and pray through it. See if it resonates with them. Listen to others who may have, uh, may have insight or something to, to bring to the picture because we can easily move into spiritual manipulation, you know, because we all want to control everybody and make them behave like we want them to behave, right? So you toss a little prophecy in there. <laughs> you know, Thus saith the Lord, you're supposed to do this, 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 and this, Right? Uh, and so it's so easy in our flesh for us to tend to do that when we're functioning in the gift of prophecy, and it really discourages the use of the gift in the body. So please don't do that if you are the person giving the prophetic word. As the receiver, sometimes, you know, maybe you've never functioned in the gift of prophecy, never received a prophetic word, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I think God might be saying uh, something, and it might be for you. Um, you know, it can tend to freak you out. Just relax. Just relax. <laughs> Just take time and think about what they've said. Take it before the Lord. Pray about it. Look in the Scriptures. Is this, does this conform to what we see in the Scriptures? 
how does this feel? How does it sit with me? Is it making me feel anxious, yucky, or, or is, it giving, is it giving me life? Kind of sit through that. And if it, if it doesn't immediately resonate with you and you don't necessarily understand it, just take that time to pray, to look through the Word. Ask other people who are mature in the faith and say, hey, I received this prophetic Word. What do you guys think? Because so often, because God wants us to rely on each other, so often in the gift of prophecy, He may speak one thing to one person and something to somebody else and they go together. And so it's so great just to be able to sift through the prophetic word with others because they may have something to add to it or they may have some insight on application. Do you think maybe God's saying this? And so um, it's so important, I think, as a receiver not to feel like you have to immediately do something or respond. Take time. Sit with it. Sift through it and pray. And then lastly... um, my, uh, my pastor up in Canada, Tony Hedrick, he said this once about the gifts of the Spirit, and I loved it. He said, I don't think it's in the Bible, but I know that it's true. If you don't use it, you lose it. <laughs> and I think that's true. Not necessarily that, you know, God's going to stop functioning in those gifts in the sense of losing it. But really, I, in my own life, you know, you can take spiritual gift tests and find out what things uh, you are more prone to as, as spiritual gifts. For me, prophecy is the one that's always number one on spiritual gifts tests. And so I spent a lot of time reading and going to workshops and trying to function, praying about it, asking the Lord. And when I was really active in those things, in seeking Him out, in asking and, ser- and searching it out, man, He was speaking to me. I had, I had dreams. I was getting prophetic words for people. It was, it was a, it's really great. It was a really great, great season. That's happened at different times, and I've found that to be true. When I'm pressing into it, when I'm asking the Lord, when I'm spending time in His Word and praying and asking Him to speak to me and being intentional about it, He does. When I don't, He doesn't. <laughs> Funny how that works. So if you're expecting to function in the gift of prophecy or in some of these other spiritual gifts, but you are not taking any steps to see them um, function in your life and to press into them in your life, probably not going to see much fruit. Paul alludes to this, 1 Corinthians 14.30. He says, So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. It's something that we're supposed to pursue. In, in later, in the 1 Corinthians 14, he also says, Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. And Paul's encouraging us to press in, to try to excel to do some work on our part, to be praying, to be asking, to be reading the scriptures, to study and understand, to talking to other people who function in these gifts and find out how they've worked, how they've worked for them and getting some tips from them. We're supposed to press in, to try, to eagerly seek these things out. And I hope that in our church that we continue to press into the gifts. I know it's messy. I know it's weird, uh, particularly in the corporate gatherings at times. Uh, But we do not want to quench what the Holy Spirit might be doing in us and through us and speaking to us, particularly in this gift of the uh, gift of prophecy. So if you have a prophetic word, if God speaks to you, bring it to us. If it's during worship, you can come to the person that is uh, like Matt this morning, who's our service leader. Come and say, I think God might be saying this, and I think it might be uh, for all of us. That's fine. We want to function in this gift of prophecy. When we're praying for one another, we want to ask God to be speaking in us and through us to one another, that he would be giving us that revelation, that apocalypto, to speak to one another, his life-giving present ministry among us. 
Are we all in agreement on that? Do we want that? I do too. So let's just pray together as the worship team comes forward. And uh, this morning we're going to worship. And uh, as always, we have people uh, who are off to the sides over here. If you need prayer for anything completely unrelated to what we're talking about this morning, prayer for healing, prayer for something going on in your life, you just like someone to agree with you and bring it before the Lord, go seek them out while we're worshiping. Minister to one another. Ask God to be speaking to you. Speaking to you yourself or maybe giving you something that would be for somebody else as we worship. He moves in unique ways when we come together. I'm always amazed by it. There's just a unique element and it concerns me in the modern church where we're so disconnected, you know, we can do church however we want, you know, podcasts and all that sort of stuff. There is a unique thing that happens. So the Holy Spirit moves in unique ways when we come together as a people. And so we want, to, uh, we want to continue to do that and be asking him. So let's pray before we worship. Lord, I ask this morning that you would continue to move among us, Lord. We ask for your gifts to be multiplied among us, Lord. We do not despise your word. We do not despise the gift of prophecy. Lord, we ask that you would be speaking to us and moving in us. I thank you that you have not just left us, God. But you are alive, you are active, you are moving in our lives, you are speaking to us. And if we seek you out, you will be found. You will be found. Lord, it is your joy to lead us, to guide us, to encourage us. And Lord, we just ask that you continue to do that among us. Lord, we ask for your spirit to be at work in us. Lord, I pray that we would not be spiritually apathetic and spiritually lazy, Lord. We want to seek you out, Lord. Help us to have a spirit of prayer. Lord, help us to have a a spirit that loves your word. Lord, that loves your spirit and the work of your spirit. Lord, and I pray that we would press into you in a new way. The coming months and the coming years, Lord, we would be excited about who you are and what you're doing and seeking you out in a new way, Lord. Help us. Bring our spirits to life, Lord. Move in us, Holy Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.